Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Jeff MacArthur Show. <laughs> just tripped over his name. It's not that many syllables. Uh, I'm Paige and I'm sitting in for Jeff today. Uh, one of the biggest complaints, well, for me as well, during the on-off lockdown has been the closure of gyms and fitness facilities, and especially how that impacted people's physical and mental health with the pandemic stretching on into two years. Now, in my neighborhood where I live, downtown Toronto, I can confidently say that at least half of these small uh, fitness facilities like gyms, boutique uh, fitness places, yoga studios, for example, they've closed permanently. So how can the rest stay in business? I'm sure a lot of people were really excited to get back to the gym when we were able to, and now they're able to open at full capacity. On the line, I have Greg Hetherington, who's the founder of Fuel Training Clubs. And I will also say that um, Fuel is the gym that I go to, haven't been often, but uh, I have been a member for many years. Hi, Greg. Hi, Pei. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Now, I'm wondering how this weekend of reopening uh, was for you. We've been talking to a couple of, you know, small business owners throughout the show uh, just to see if, you know, you're feeling like we're we're finally on the other side of things. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it feels like reopening is all too familiar now. So, you know, we're sort of getting the hang of this process, but it doesn't make it any easier, that's for sure. What are the challenges of, you know, of fully reopening, um, you know, going from being at like half capacity? You know, we're, because we're a small business and we have so many systems that require the autonomy of our members, it's really the administrative work to stop memberships, start them back up, uh, you know, extend passes and, and things that just you wouldn't normally have to do in addition to running the business. So really the administrative part has been, uh, it's just, it's just a lot more work temporarily. Mm -hmm. I think, again, unfortunately, everyone's so used to this process now that I would say everyone all, you know, from all of our members to, to our team, um, this time around, you know, everyone sort of knows and expects, you know, as far as going into the gym masks, going to your zone, the sanitizing, you know, this almost feels normal. So it, that hasn't been educating everyone on, on those systems, but definitely the first shutdown, that was, that was a big, uh, operational change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the first the first shutdown, and then the first time going back, we just felt so different because it had to. You know, there was a lot of concerns about uh, you know having your mask on and and where you could even just cross paths with people. Uh, now, have you found over now? It's been almost two years. Uh, in terms of members, are most of them still with you, or what kind of shift have you have you seen? We definitely, we have the core group of our members who've supported us this whole time. Um, they're back. A lot of them are back. Uh, we had to shut down one of our locations because it was getting knocked down for condos. So, you know, there just hasn't been an opportunity to open another location in that neighborhood, which was initially the plan. And, they, you know, the one thing I, I, I didn't take into consideration was, especially in one of our locations, it was so dependent on people commuting into the downtown core and a number of people who lived in condos. And obviously, with people working from home and not commuting, that extra commute to go to the gym wasn't worth their t- their time. And a lot of people moved out from that that area in the downtown core, especially in the East End, temporarily. I mean, a lot of people are coming back now. But as you reopen and people weren't there, you know, we'd say, "Oh, where's so and so? Where's so and so?" You know, they they moved, they moved. So that was, um, uh, you know, having to to, to build up uh, some some more members and and make pe- new new people moving to the neighborhood aware that we're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's difficult, especially with a business our size. 
Now, did you have, um, did you face any challenges or pushback uh, from from members or guests that were coming in, uh, you know, because of, let's say, like proof of vaccination, for example, masking, those issues? It's, you know, there's definitely been an open dialogue. Again, another advantage to being being small and having, you know, our boots on the ground, so to speak, with, with all of our members is we're able to have all those conversations face to face. And uh, I think everyone understood, you know, what was required from us and, and that we were all figuring things out. So we didn't really have any resistance uh, with that regard. It was, you know, they understand that what we're doing is what we're doing just to survive, essentially, to stay open. So we definitely had, you know, the dialogue about what's the point of wearing a mask just to walk in only to take it off when I exercise and, um, you know, vaccine mandates that, you know, that that got uh, fairly quickly um, governed or mandated. So it had to be done. We're we're just getting into that phase now where March 1st, those are all changing. So we'll be going through another learning phase again. And really, although we can prepare for it, you never really know how it's going to play out until it actually happens. Now, what does the um, like health and fitness industry need now in order to recover? Like I was mentioning off the top that so many of the small boutique places uh, in my downtown area have closed for good. And I I would love to see more reopen. I would love to see more fitness facilities um, open. But I I don't know that there are procedures in place to make that viable. Mm. Well, I think I think there's two parts to, to that question. The first is you know, as a small business, having we we're on the hook for 100% of our fixed costs. So, you know, we weren't allowed to be open, and we couldn't generate revenue for those those facilities that that had all of these fixed costs. So, definitely, we had some support. Some of it's taking longer to come in, um, but being able to cover our fixed costs, I think, is is the first one. And the second part to that question is, you know, for the businesses that that shut down and that aren't able to reopen. You know, rents have not gone down. In fact, re- commercial rent has gone up. Um, oh wow, really? Even during the pandemic, yeah. But you, there's so many I places mean, available. I know. I mean, I there there are far better educated and experienced people answer the questions uh, on why that's happened. But you know, people are still buying buildings, and the value of the building is important, and and rents are directly correlated to that value. And and you know, people see this as a a short term, although it's felt like it's been forever. People see this as a short term. Um, problem that mm-hmm. is going to write itself, and some spaces would rather have them vacant than reduce rents. And uh, I think that's going to be a challenge. I mean, it was already a challenge before this pandemic. The, you know, we've been it'll be nine years this May since we've been open, and I can tell you that rents have more than doubled since nine years ago. So new businesses and and but you know memberships have not doubled. So new mm-hmm. businesses in the fitness space trying to open up in Toronto. Um, especially already had challenges to 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 get open, um, but now it's it's you're you're facing a whole new set of challenges because you've got you know the fact that you have to run a business and then you've also got the fact that not everyone's comfortable coming into a gym, so your market size is a bit smaller, and you know all the added costs that that were associated with PPE and ensuring the facility could could run safely or two government mandates. Um, you know these these aren't when you're in the fitness industry you normally get into it because. You know, you, you love fitness, not necessarily mandates. 
<laughs> I, I hate mandates. Uh, I don't even love fitness, but I do it. <laughs> you know it's good for you. I know it's good for me. Um, let's talk a bit, actually, you know, what you were mentioning about the, the added cost of rent going up. Um, and the price or the cost of, you know, classes or membership for a lot of these, you know, smaller fitness facilities, um, in most cases, I would say that the price is a little bit more than your big box chain um, gyms, because you have fewer people per, you know, staff, a bit more of, you know, more attention during your workout. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be a ceiling for you, right, in terms of how much you can increase the cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that is, trial and error, I think. Uh, you know, I always I look at, you know, New York or Miami as far as fitness trends and, and what people are paying there. And it's, it's higher than what we pay here, even, you know, after the conversion or with, without the conversion. And I, I think there is a ceiling and you have to adjust your model to um, account for what people are willing to, to spend in this market. And uh, to what you said, smaller facilities, more attention. And the way you see that is just finding better value than a bigger facility. But I, I even, you know, the big facilities also have their, uh, their struggles, their rents, much higher staffing, you know, it's just, it's scaled. The problems are scaled. So, you know, the smaller facility, you just have to highlight what your value is and, and how you do that better than some of the bigger facilities and just, you know, make sure that you uh, are, are, you know, for yourself coming in, you might not enjoy all the workouts, but at the end of it, you're glad you did it. Now, did you, I think like you, you have increased the price a little bit uh, in the past two years, right? We did, yeah. After the first lockdown, mm-hmm. um, we we had, yeah, we had a small amount. And what was the feedback like on that? Were people mostly understanding, or was there like a "Whoa, what is going on?" situation? It I, "Whoa, what is going on?" was probably the big. <laughs> I think after the first lockdown, there still mm-hmm. wasn't the same. There wasn't the same sympathy. I think that there is mm-hmm. now, or understanding what what businesses were going through. And I think for us too, we didn't really. No, we just knew that what we were allowed, to, the number of people we were allowed to have in a class versus what we had to continually pay for a fixed cost was no longer aligned, and we had to to make that adjustment. Yeah. Uh, well, Greg, thank you for joining me. I'll see you sometime, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm just get, slowly getting back there, getting back yeah, to don't, the gym. Don't try to avoid the days with the hard workouts now. <laughs> just slowly making my way. Greg, thank you so much. It's Greg Hetherington, the founder of Fuel Training Clubs in Toronto. I'm Paige Chen, and you're listening to The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. (laughs) And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.